It's from Twitter, uh, and I don't know if anyone follows Thoughts of a Dog on Twitter, anybody? Apparently we should. Uh, this um, account just tweeted from a dog's perspective. The human just came home smelling like another dog. This isn't a problem. I'm totally not upset. If anybody needs me, I'll be over here wondering what I ever did to deserve this. <laughs> We've all been there, hadn't we? We have a moment or two or ten or a thousand where we're over in the corner wondering what we did to deserve this. This morning we're talking about the wonder of hope and we're really going to transfer that word to the word grace because our hope is in grace. A couple of years ago, it was actually 2016, I was uh, in my truck and I was at a drive through and the only person with me, the only passenger was my big happy dog. Except my big happy dog wasn't happy at the moment. He was hacking, a hacking cough. And I could tell it was right on the precipice of when the hacking would turn into a heave. And so I, you know, I didn't have a blanket. I didn't have a towel. I still was making a few payments on my truck. and was trying, st- I was taking care of it at the time. And I just uh, reflexively just took off my shirt and put it underneath the dog, you know, to catch whatever might come out. And I was multitasking at that point. And I pulled up to the drive-thru. And a teenage girl was working the drive-thru. And she said, hey, I know who you are. And I said, no, no, you don't. And there I was with shades and no shirt. And she says, you're the preacher who baptized me. And I thought, too bad we don't give refunds on baptisms, right? Because she would have asked for it at the time. And I knew that was one of a gazillion moments I've had and probably a few more that I'm about to have, we'll have one day, where I just thought, I need grace. Like this moment, we need grace. I need grace. And that's why we're in this series. We've looked at uh, John chapter 1. In fact, I encourage you to turn to John chapter 1. We'll put our passage on the screen in just a moment, not yet. But we'll look at John chapter 1, 14, 15, 16, I think 17. But we've looked at this idea. John wrote his gospel differently than Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Uh, He wrote not explaining all the events, but talking about the meaning behind them. And he mentions light and he mentions life And he mentions belief over and over again. He says in John chapter 20, verse 31, these things I've written that you might believe, that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God, that you might have life in his name. We've looked at the wonder of the word. Remember how John starts, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And then he tells us that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That's next week. We won't get into that. That's for our Christmas Eve Eve service next Sunday. But we've been looking at the wonder of the word week one, the wonder last week of light. And this morning, we're going to look at the wonder of grace, of what that actually means. What do you deserve? So John chapter one, let me say this, to appreciate, well, let's go ahead and read the text. Let's do that. John chapter one, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only son from the father, love this full of grace and truth. Verse 15, John bore witness about him, that's JTB, John the Baptist, and he cried out, the New Testament prophet, John the Baptist, he cried out, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. For from him, from his fullness, we have all received, uh, say this out loud, grace upon grace. Let's say it louder. We have, for from him, his fullness, we have all received preach it. For the law was given through Moses, here's the contrast, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Grace and truth. Grace upon grace. Anybody need some grace upon grace today? Anybody need to extend 
some grace upon grace. Anybody at the mall this weekend? Was anybody out there with me? It was, I found out yesterday at, at two of the different malls that it's the season of brotherly shove. And I thought we need to extend some grace upon grace. Uh, some people didn't extend that to me. But anyway, that's another, another story, another sermon. But look, to appreciate grace, we have to understand sin. And to understand sin, we need to elevate God's glory. I want to say that again because there may be a note taker here. To appreciate grace, we must understand sin. And to understand sin, we must elevate God's glory. Hear me now, church. God is glorious. And his glory is intrinsic. Stay with me for a moment. I'll keep this simple. Water is wet. Water is wet because it just is, because wetness is intrinsic to water. The sky is blue. I think it is going to turn really blue later today. That's the forecast. The sky is blue because the sky is, because blue is intrinsic to the sky. The sun is hot because the sun is. It is that way. Hot is intrinsic to the sun. God is glorious, and his glory is intrinsic to who he is. Now, whether you like water being wet, the sky being blue, or the sun being hot, it is that way, right? You don't vote on that. It is intrinsic in the nature of that. And whether you recognize God's glory, he is glorious. If you don't recognize his glory, he is glorious. If you like his glory, he is glorious. If you don't like his glory, he is glorious. God is glorious. It's intrinsic in his nature. And to add to that, to add to our appreciation of grace, our understanding of sin and elevation of God's glory, God and sin are irreconcilable. Now, what's great about that, what's so wonderful about that is this time of year in particular, we sing a song with a line that says, God and sinners, what? Reconciled. But God and sin is irreconcilable. It's kind of like you and your garbage. You and your garbage don't get along for too long, all right? You don't get along with your garbage for too long. In fact, you have a, a contract, you have an agreement with the city, the municipality in which you live, and you probably know those two days when the garbage comes. Sometimes you miss those days, don't you? A couple of weeks ago, Susan missed a day We're taking out the trash, um, there's a country song that says, I like my women just a tad on the trashy side. Um, I like it when Susan takes out the trash, sort of a different meaning of that song. But you know that you and garbage don't get along for too long. Every couple of days, what do you do with the garbage in your house? You take it to the street and you understand that a truck's coming by and there's an agreement there that they're going to take that garbage and they're going to dispose of it because you and the garbage can't get along for too long. And you take that and you magnify it and that's God's relationship. In fact, God's not going to, just like you hang out with your garbage for a couple of days, God is not going to hang out with sin for one nanosecond. The two are not reconcilable. And God's glory is great. And whether you like it, and sometimes you do, and whether you don't, sometimes you avoid it. In fact, Romans 1 tells us that we many times exchange worship of the creator for worship of the creation. And we do not concern ourselves with his glory. And it could, it could very well have a lot to do with our own unglory, with our own darkness, and the way we repel ourselves from light. But God is glorious. So we have this problem. Just like if you let the garbage hang out in your house too long, you're going to have a problem. 
And so it is when you hang out with sin. Sin is the root of all human misery. We see it on the face of a battered woman. We hear it in the cries of a neglected child. We see it in the despondency and dejection of an addict. And we see it in the death of every victim of every war ever fought. Sin is the root of all human misery. And sin is the greatest battle that you face. And have you noticed sin's hanging around? It's not going anywhere. It's the greatest battle that you face. In fact, the writer of Hebrews would say that it wages war against your soul. It's the root cause of human misery. It's the greatest battle that you face. We can say it's the cause of all human misery, the root cause, and it can be sort of a global, macro, panoramic, big picture thing. But when we say it's the greatest battle that you face, it's very personal, isn't it? Very personal. Consider Psalm 19 in verse 12. But who can discern their own errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Here's the weird thing, the funny thing about sin. I can be very aware of your sin and unaware of my own. And here the prayer is a prayer of depth. This is the same chapter, Psalm 19, where he talks about the cleansing effect of God's Word, of putting grace with truth. And some of us think that grace and truth is just a New Testament concept. It's not. Grace and truth have been in the heart of God from the beginning. The psalmist would pray later, Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. God, something is happening in me. Years ago, I think the year was... 2008 I had a friend flying back a missionary friend flying back to America from Europe his flight was grounded because of you ready for this because of a volcano that erupted now that's a little strange isn't it because a volcano is under the ground when they erupt they go up above the ground but how far can you go most flights you're on are 30,000 feet above the air you like go around go around that but a flight was grounded in fact flights all flights on two continents for three days were grounded because an earthquake erupted. Something from the inside affected a lot of stuff from the outside. And that is sin. It's an inside deal. Put 19, Psalm 19 back up if you would. And it says what discern, who can discern their own errors. That's a personal thing. Forgive my hidden faults. It's what we don't see. It's a great battle. It's your greatest battle. The battle against sin. Churches measure a lot of things. Most churches I know measure attendance. We kind of have an idea of how many people show up. We know when our college kids are gone. We know when parents and grandparents show up for children's programs. We, we, we count, somebody counts, and we know numbers and we know giving. You better know, you better know we know giving. And we know, right, how many people are in groups. And there, there's, we measure that. We measure attendance. And it's harder to measure impact. So we tend to tell stories about impact. But we can't measure our battle against sin. I've never heard a church say, well, for 2019, we want, our goal is to reduce sin by 5%. All right, for the average, the aggregate sum, median total for all congregants, we want sin to go down in every life 5%. 
We don't measure that because we can't measure that. Because we have trouble. In fact, this is a spiritual life that we're living. And we have to have the gift of discernment. And we've got to take the time prayerfully to ponder what is deep for our hidden faults. On Friday, I shared this stage with two brothers. A young man, only 27 years old in the Jackson Prep family who passed away in Nashville. 27 years old. And to look at that family right here. And I can tell you in times like that when the pain is like no other. And don't compare the loss of your pet or a parent to the loss of a child. And as this family sat here and I saw the courage of the two brothers and I looked at that mom and dad. And I realized that they're going to walk through a season where some stuff that has been hidden is coming up. And that's what life will do to us. And that's what suffering and pain will do to us. I want to say it again, one of the weird things about sin is I can be very unaware of mine, but very aware of what's happening in your life. So sin, some young people, man, you get, you get out of whack about this, off kilter. Let me explain that sin is not breaking some rules or regulations of an arbitrary religion. Okay, it's not that at all. One writer, one pastor I admire said that sin ultimately is putting the wrong thing at the top of the ladder. You get the idea, right? We're all climbing. Everybody's climbing. Like some of you climbed over each other like tarantulas in a jar. You climbed all over each other to get to church. Every time you go from point A to B, you're climbing and there's something hidden in you, some ambition that says, I want to climb higher. I want to go further. And we are all climbers. I guess the question we ought to ask ourselves is what are we climbing to? What is at the top of the ladder? And oftentimes that's our idol that's what we're going for, that sin. Look at the way the psalmist put it in Psalm 33. He said this, No king is saved by the size of his army. No warrior escapes by his great strength. A horse is a vain hope for deliverance. Despite all its great strength, it cannot save. Sometimes we reserve this for religious vocabularies and religious people. If you walked out on the street to your average Joe or Jane, and you said, hey, do you want to be saved? They would probably put you quickly into the religious freak category, right? But everybody, the Bible's words for save are healed, rescued, and delivered. And everybody needs to be healed, rescued, and delivered. And so this approach, it's one way to live life. And this is, this is when you put yourself at the top of the ladder. In home improvement, world we would say it's DIY which stands for do it yourself and that's at the top of many people's ladders we will I will do it myself it's the size of my army it's the my great strength it's the hope I put in the strength of the horses that I have it's the do it yourself way to live you're trusting ultimately in yourself now how does that go when you're doing it yourself and you're looking to you at the top of the ladder for hope and rescue and deliverance, how does the do-it-yourself approach work? Personal testimony, do-it-yourself approach has never worked well for me in any capacity. This is the time of the year, right, that we give gifts and toys to children. 
I'm so glad I'm out of that stage. Grandkids may roll in, you know, 10 years or so from now, but I'm just so glad I'm out of that stage. But I can think back to the, that stage of our lives and putting together toys for Christmas. And it's really strange. I remember one year we were, um, there was some toy that needed to be assembled. It was one of our California Christmases that grandma and grandpa paid for. And, and there was this particular package and it was, I, I, don't, I don't recall what it was, some, some sort of small nuclear reactor or something. And it needed to be put together and there was a picture of a man. And you know what the man's doing, right? He's smiling. And he is putting together the small nuclear reactor easily, effortlessly, joyfully, winsomely, willingly, not like me. And it, we, it was just, it, it went, I think it was like 1 a.m. And frustrated, I looked at Susan. I said, babe, you need any help with that? Because tab A was not fitting into slot B. The do-it-yourself approach. And here, here is what is funny, funny, not funny. Is that there are some people who would never, ever approach a do-it-yourself project with their children's toys, with cars or appliances around the house like a vacuum cleaner or such. But they do it with their very own one and only life and their eternal destiny. And the do-it-yourself approach where you put yourself at the top of the ladder and you say, I'm going to me and I'm doing it my way and I will be the one to help, to heal, to rescue and to deliver. It is vain. Look how the psalmist finishes it in verses 18 to 20. He says this, but the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him, on those whose hope is in his unfailing love, to deliver them from death and to keep them alive in famine. Some of you are doing this now. We wait in hope for the Lord. He is our help. And he is our shield. Trusting in yourself or trusting in him. You see, grace, hear me now. To understand grace is to appreciate sin. And to appreciate sin is to elevate God's intrinsic glory. And grace is not a ladder you climb upon. It is not. It is one, God in human flesh, who came down on that ladder for you. In the field of human psychology, there is an emotional axiom known as transference. You ever heard of transference? Uh, do you have a counselor or a therapist? you have any family of origin issues? It comes up in our therapeutic culture today, but it's something very, very real that happens in our minds. Transference, uh, stated simply, is when you take the feelings that you have for person A and you transfer them to person B because person B reminds you of person A. Let me make that more simple. If you've grown up and you have a complicated, difficult, bad relationship with, say, a mother, and then later in life you meet someone who in some way reminds you of your mother. They make funny TV commercials about this. But they, they, someone that reminds you of your mother then you will transfer the feelings that you have for your mom onto this person because some of her traits remind you of those traits in your mom. That's called transference. But fortunately, 
the gospel story transcends every therapeutic issue or problem that we have. And here's the good news. Fortunately, transference frees us up to live and to live in the light and to know the word because here's the good news. The Father, God the Father loves his Son. And because he loves his Son, he loves you. You are loved by the Father. Consider this passage in Hebrews. It says, for by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Leave this up for a, a couple of minutes, if we will. You see, when you open, here's what I've learned. When you open the gift of grace, you've got a couple of, you have a lot of gifts in there when you open the gift of grace. And can I just say, just like the latter, I stated a little bit differently, but grace, grace is not earned, never earned. It's only opened. And when you open the gift of grace, there's a couple of gifts hiding in there. The gift of what scholars call justification and sanctification. Now, you probably don't like those words, but justification is he has made. It is done. What's one of the seven things Scripture records for us? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John from the cross. It is finished. There is a completed, finished work. So all of your striving, all of your straining, all of your effort, all of the ladder climbing, matters not. You need to rest in what he has done for you. Justification, he has made. Sanctification, being made. You notice the two tenses there. You probably missed it the first time. He has made. We are being made. That's the gift of grace. You are saved and you are continuing to be saved. You don't have to be the person this time next year, that you are now. Now we're all getting older and some of us feel the effects of that. But spiritually, emotionally, you don't have to be the person a year from now that you are today because you are being saved and you are being made. Consider grace. Consider grace upon grace. Consider that God came in human flesh to dwell among us full of truth and grace. So the crime, the sin for us, the reason that religion is so resistible, the reason that many millennials are leaving the church, the, the reason many of us are checking out and we find it to be resistible is because there's a gathered community of people who proclaim that they have received grace but refuse grace to other people. And it's funny, there's, honestly, look, honestly, there's some people my age and older, we're, we're kind of confused about who we should love. Can I tell you, this Christmas season, you're called to love everybody. 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 No asterisk, no footnote, none. Everybody. And you have been loved. And if you have received grace, you extend it. And notice this warning. And man, if you've been hanging around the church like I have for a lot of your life, I want to give this to you. It's Hebrews chapter 12. Okay, this gift, this gift of grace that we get, we've been made and we're being made, we need to extend it. See to it, that's words of priority, see to it that no one falls short of the grace of God. And what happens, O writer of Hebrews, 
What happens when people fall short of the grace of God? A bitter root grows. And let me tell you, you ever been in a home? You ever walked in somewhere where there's bitterness? Like, it's palpable at times. All right, there are hidden sins, but bitterness can be one that's just palpable. And when it grows, it causes trouble and it defiles many. It defiles many. You know, one person doesn't make a team, but one person can break a team. And you throw a bitter person in there and you can break a team because they can cause trouble and defile many. How important is a mom at home? How important is a dad at home? How important is everybody on a family, in a family, and on a team? I would say very important, but how beautiful it can be, how wondrous it is when we taste and see that the Lord is good and that we know his grace and we don't fall short of it. And I tell you, Nothing today at 52 years old breaks my heart more than a gathered group of people who have received God's grace but refuse to extend it to other people. See, I don't care if people who are mean and stiff and rigid gather together on Sunday morning. I don't care as long as they don't call it a church. But you see, this should be our favorite place and maybe favorite day of the week where we come together and we learn and we relearn that salvation is greater than sin. Life is greater than death. And what we see is not all there is. And there is a gift called grace. And guys, I have been in churches that have met in bars and gyms and sanctuaries and warehouses and living rooms and in tents and outside under trees. I have been in churches where they speak English and Spanish and German and French and Serbo-Croatian and Armenian. My wife is Armenian and Aramic. I have been in these churches. Churches, the church is everywhere for everyone no matter what you have done. One more time, churches are, for, are everywhere for everyone, no matter what you have done. And God protect us and the leaders of this church not to be confused about that. And there is grace. And let me say to you today, every time we see a snapshot of grace, we get a glimpse of heaven. Ken has been married four times. His first three wives he was verbally and physically abusive to him, to them. His fourth wife shared the love of Jesus with him. And can I tell you, because I know Ken received grace. Rebecca was raped. She had an abortion. And the shame of this caused her to run from God and to run from his church. And a woman this is the actual name, a woman named Grace shared the love of Jesus with her. A woman that I know and love sat back there under the fourth stained glass window one day years ago, and she had a meeting with an exotic dancer, a stripper. And this woman, with her profession and all, asked this woman that I know and love, you mean to tell me that God could be a father that I've never had? This, she said, is too good to be true. Of which the woman I know and love responded back to her, it is good and it is true. Every time we get a snapshot of grace, we get a glimpse of heaven.
The church, by the design of the Father, is everywhere. It's for everyone, no matter what you have done. Several years ago, I was part of another funeral. And it was a young lady who died in her early 30s. And she died in a terrible way. She died as a victim of domestic violence. Complications later from domestic violence. Terrible. What was even more painful for me was to know the estranged relationship that she had with her father. And there was a season where they were, they were apart, her and her father. She had spent years running in the arms of dysfunctional, abusive men. There were times when she would write her dad and he would tear up the note. She would call him, he would hang up the phone. And at that graveside, I looked over at him and under his shades, tears were falling. It was cold and windy and the rain started to pour and how fitting that was. And I remember that night I went home and all of my children, all three of mine were little. I remember looking at them differently and loving them, holding them a little nearer. I remember when I put my own daughter to bed that night. And I thought of the words in Psalm 103. God, thank you that you don't give us what we deserve. And some of you grew up. I mean, that story is so, it's such a minority story. I get that. But some of you grew up and all you heard was a dad who had authority but not love. And he would say, you do this and you do this because I told you so. And whether you had a good dad or a bad dad, God is the best dad. And here's a dad who John tells us, read about it later in John 14 and following. He says that if you love me, the father says, if you love me, keep my commandments. That's not, listen to me, that's not a obey me because I told you so. All right, that is obey me, I love you. It's a response to love and grace. So let me say to you today, If this thing is wearing you out, if it's joyless, and you name the name of Jesus, but you don't want to gather with his people, and you don't want to connect in community, and you don't want to overflow in giving. In fact, look, there's a a passage that says that we should excel in the grace of giving. One of the things that God has built into the life of Fondren Church is generosity. But we can't be a generous church without generous people. And we're not throwing rules and laws on you. We preached about tithing this fall, but ultimately it comes down to the grace. And to do this, to excel in the grace of giving because you have been given to. And we respond to our Father who has given us so much. I want you this morning to bow. And as you bow, in fact, our team is, is on their way up to lead us in a song, a time to pray, a time of